0: Thanks for listening. If you'd like to schedule a one-on-one coaching with Dr. Lodi, please visit drsadaf.com. I am an American board certified OBGYN, a mom, a Muslim, and I'm talking about sex. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast. All right, so welcome to the Muslim Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sada Flodi. And in this episode, we will continue speaking with uh, Shanaz Khan, who is a domestic violence attorney in California, talking and discussing everything you need to know about domestic violence. And please note in these show notes, uh, we'll also put the hotline number for domestic violence here in the US, the Domestic Violence Hotline. Before we get into it, I just want to make very clear that we are not giving any type of legal or religious advice. So if you have any concerns about uh, domestic violence or what's going on, please contact a local attorney um, that may be able to help you out and or speak with your local religious leader. And this is the Muslim Sex podcast because I just happen to be a Muslim woman that talks about sex. So here we are with Shanaz again, and uh, I'm so happy that Shanaz is here, and we will be continuing with our discussion on domestic violence. So Shanaz, um, I'd, like, I'd love for you to actually talk about what's going on with the victims, the effects on them, and you know, what type of emergency issues and versus, let's say, long-term issues that you know, they're dealing with. Sure, sure. So, as a as a community, um,
1: you know, in terms of what you can do to help domestic violence victims, or as a domestic violence victim, you know, kind of things to to look at and consider. One is the immediate issue is emergency safety. Um, if you feel unsafe, to get yourself out of an unsafe situation, um, sometimes we don't know when that unsafe situation is going to happen. As a victim, um, so. One of the things you can do is if you reach out to any of your local domestic violence agencies, um, talk to them about safety planning. And safety planning is basically saying, "Well, I'm not ready to leave, you know, but they do blow up or they do have these incidents where I get really scared." And they say, "Okay, well, let's create a plan where if something happens, here's what you're going to do. You know, Um you've got an extra set of car keys under a rock in the front <laughs> front of the house. Um, I've got a code word that I can." call and tell my, my friend or my mom, or I can text somebody, you know, um, uh, you've got a bag packed and put somewhere if you have to get up and go. And again, these are extreme and I don't mean to make people feel like these are very dramatic situations, but if you're feeling unsafe in a situation, even if it's to get out of the house for a little while or have a friend call to calm a situation down, having a plan in place will help help a situation. So if you're not somebody who's ready to leave, but you say, boy, if, if he starts to blow up in a situation, um, if, if so-and-so were to call or somebody were to walk in, they'd calm down immediately. Then maybe you have that code word with a friend or family member says, oh my gosh, you know, whatever lemon tree, you know, and somebody happens to call or show up at your doorstep or something. Um, keep in mind that these are all indications that if you're living in this type of a situation that's very volatile, that maybe long-term you should be thinking about whether this is a relationship that you should continue to stay in. One of the things with domestic violence victims is, um, and and people go into helping anybody with the best of intentions. I want to help. But the goal here is to help a domestic violence victim to become Independent and self-sufficient, because what's happened in this relationship or domestic violence relationship is that they've become the perpetrator has made them very dependent on them. So we talked in the first episode about the isolation that I'm all you have. What are you going to do without me? So they've they've been trained or, or, or conditioned to become very dependent on somebody. When you step in to assist a domestic violence victim, the goal is not to get them to be dependent on this person and now dependent on another person, but rather to be independent, to be somebody who's self-sufficient and can take care of themselves so they don't become dependent again. Um, So these are choices that have to come from the victim. The victim has to choose to want to leave, to take these steps and giving them resources to learn how to manage their finances? how to go out and get a job? Um, how to speak english if if language is a barrier, how to interact with the children's teachers at school um, sometimes in some relationships the one parent doesn't even really go and interact with the school. so having resources for people like that within the community and having. Uh, we're reaching out to domestic violence agencies for things like safety planning Is, is are ways that you can, that as a victim, get help, um, or as somebody in the community wanting to help, you can reach out and help people who are, are going through these type of situations. Please remember that some people you encounter in your daily life are what they call mandated reporters, meaning if they hear of abuse, um, they have to report it. So you're a doctor. The children's teachers, things like that. Uh, there are people that, if a child goes to school and says something, and these are not meant to be like, oh, don't tell your kid to say anything, keep it, you know, but just so you know that sometimes if you're seeking help, you can tell some people. So there's certain people in your lives that you already interact with, like your doctor, like Um, the children's teachers, things like that, that you can explain and express concern to, and they can reach out on your behalf.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that, Shanaz, actually, because actually, a lot of times you'll go to your gynecologist's office, right? And so we'll have posters there to ask about domestic violence and on the back of like the bathroom door, right, of uh, women's bathroom door to ask about domestic violence. In fact, When we uh, admit a patient for labor and delivery, we will, you know, talk to them in private and we will always ask them, do you feel safe at home? You know, anyone going to harm you at home once you go home and things like that. So we always ask about domestic violence. So I'm glad that you brought that up because absolutely patients, we ask and we hope that they can, they feel comfortable enough to let us know if something like that is happening so that we can help them.
1: Right, and as a victim, you know, I think it's it's important to recognize that it's it's by reaching out for help, it's not an automatic, oh my god, my my family's over, um, that it could be just getting in touch with resources to help you plan, you know, to make yourself safe or to be able to leave, things like that. keeping in mind. Some incidences do have to be reported. Obviously, child abuse must be reported by the doctor. And yes, at that point, you're going to get authorities involved in your life and involved in your family. So I think you know, that kind of leads a little bit into uh, the issue of, of the effect on the, the, the other people in your life, the effect on your children, effect on the family itself that domestic violence can have. So a lot of times one of you, what you'll find from victims of domestic violence is they're gonna minimize what's happening to them because their worldview is so different in their mind um if you ask somebody did he uh oh has did he um did he hit you did he hurt did he do something did he hit you or something oh no, he didn't hit me. he just choked me just <laughs> just you know and 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 then some of us would put that in the category of. Well, of course that's, that's just as bad as hitting somebody, but to a victim, their worldview is so uh, shaped by their daily experiences of, of this fear of this violence that, well, yes, I've been hit in the past, but this time it wasn't hitting, it was choking, or this time it was throwing food at me when I was sitting at the table or, um, you know, uh, yelling and screaming at me in my face, you know, things like that. So, Um, incidences might be minimized sometimes. So as a person listening, um, you're not what they're saying and how they're reacting to it may not match up that these are pretty horrific incidences, but they're saying it in a very calm way or kind of minimizing that it's really not that bad. And again, all the more reason we talked about in the first episode to, to direct somebody who's going through this to the right type of, professionals or agencies that work with domestic violence victims to be able to help them get the assistance they need but domestic violence does have an effect on yeah you know all aspects of somebody's life not just the victim but also um as we talked about um the effect in the home because the goal islamically is to have a peaceful home to have a home where um, you are comfortable and your family is comfortable your spouses are comfortable um, spouses mean you and your spouse, not multiple spouses, um, but, uh, but that um, you do feel or multiple spouses if that's your family, um, but that you feel um, the effect of domestic violence on children is very real, even if you think, well, they're just a baby or they're in the other room or they didn't really see anything. They kids are really perceptive. They can pick up on the tension. They can pick up on what's going on around them. Um, And it is harmful, at least in California. It is a factor that goes into consideration for um, being able to assign custody or visitation for a parent, meaning if you are a parent that is perpetrating domestic violence, it is assumed that that is not safe for the child. Even if the child is an infant, even if the child is not in the room when the incident happened, the fact that you are somebody that is willing to commit domestic violence against the parent, the other the other parent, that is seen as, as not healthy or safe for the child. Um, if you are a parent that is not willing to protect your child from incidences of abuse so the abuse is happening in the house and the child is right there and you're even if you are the victim those are seen as you're seen as unable to protect the child at those incidences Um, and so yes there are times where cps can get involved child protective services if um, there's a perpetrator and there's a victim and nobody's looking out for caring for the child or making sure the child's not exposed to this there are extreme incidences where child protective services could step in and say, somebody has to take care of and protect this child from the violence that's happening in the home. So there is a significant effect on children. And I'm certainly not an expert to speak on, on that, but um, you should just be aware that sometimes as a victim, you think, um, Oh, it's just, they didn't see anything or uh, they were at school when something happened. Um, so it's not really affecting the kids. And I, I can pretend like everything's okay. But kids are perceptive and they pick up on the tension. And this and this can affect them a lot. So be be conscious of that. Um, the effect on the family, um, and I think we've talked about this a lot, that it just doesn't create a, a healthy home life. And then remember what
0: you're teaching your children, right? Right, absolutely. absolutely. Sorry. So, you know what I think is interesting also, uh, Shanaz, what you mentioned is that, you know, the effect on children. I think that oftentimes, right, children will model what they see at home, right? So if they right. see their parents fighting all the time, then, you know, I'm sure the likelihood that when they get into a relationship, Right? That's the only thing that they've known. That's the only thing that they've seen and witnessed. And that's how they'll act with their spouse, right? Because they don't know any better. And say if it's a girl at home, if all she ever sees is her father hitting her mother, and if that happens, To her, when she gets older, if she gets in a relationship, if she gets married, whatever, and and if that's happening, she'll think that that's normal, right? She'll think that that's what's expected because that's what she saw at home and that's what her mother dealt with. And maybe that's what's expected and that's the way, you know, uh, disputes are handled, right? So I think it's so important. Right, right. Yeah.
1: No, I was going to say, yeah, I mean, one of the, and this is a a completely different topic, but one of the, I think essential skills that we can provide to our children is conflict resolution. And when there's anger and abuse and violence in a home to resolve conflict, you know, your child is not going to learn to resolve conflict in a peaceful way because it's unrealistic to think that we're going to go through our lives and never have conflict with anybody. But it's how we resolve that conflict, how we come back from that conflict, that is really a true test of of our character and, um, you know, what we've learned and and how to live a a peaceful life. Right. And so, yes, certainly that, um, you know, you want to make sure in addition to the emotional and psychological effects that domestic violence has on the child, you know, what are you teaching your children about relationships, about an interaction between a husband and wife or between a parent and a child? you know, don't forget you're, if you're not, if you're yelling and, and abusive to your child as well, and domestic violence includes that as well, then, you know, uh, what are you teaching them in terms of how to treat either their children
0: or how to treat you as you get older? Absolutely. You know, 100%. So, you know, I'm also wondering about, you know, you mentioned a little bit about the legal effects of domestic violence and like restraining orders and things like that. Maybe you could just. Expand on that a little bit, and then you know, we can get to what resources there are for um, victims. Sure, so
1: you know, as an attorney, that's kind of the area that I jump in on um, when it comes to the issues of domestic violence and stuff. And so, one of the barriers um, we talked about some of the barriers in the last episode to people reaching out for help is that people are really afraid of. Um, getting outsiders involved in family issues or having somebody in an extreme case arrested, you know, getting the legal, um, community involved in their situation. So it's so people like to keep these situations. This is a family issue or community issue. We keep this within the family, keep this within the community. Um, And part of that barrier is because you don't really understand what's going to happen. You watch TV or you see things or you hear from a friend, oh, the kids got taken away or, oh, you know, they lost everything and, you know, they lost their house, they lost everything, stuff like that. So people get really scared. So if you have an incident of domestic violence, if you reach out for legal assistance, um, there's two paths that you can go on. If it's a violent incident and qualifies under a criminal, you call the police. Once you call the police, you've uh, activated kind of the criminal aspect of it. So the police come out, they can decide whether to arrest somebody or not arrest somebody. Um, In that situation, uh, the cases are sent to the district attorney, the local district attorney, the local district attorney is going to review to decide whether or not to press charges. There's this false idea that the victim has full control over whether charges are pressed. Um, In some jurisdictions, perhaps, but mostly it's the district attorney who's going to make the decision whether to press charges. And it's very common in domestic violence situations for the victim to say, I don't want to participate. No, I don't want this person to go to jail. So district attorneys in many jurisdictions will still move forward with criminal cases without the victim, if they feel they have enough evidence. So as as a victim, sometimes it's not up to you whether criminal charges will be filed. If criminal charges are filed, there's a criminal case um, that's, involves jail, that can involve jail time. Um, the criminal court can issue its own restraining order. There's the civil courts simultaneously. So there's two court systems, civil and criminal. The cr- civil court system can is when the, the civil, criminal court system is the state versus a person. So the state of California versus Mr. X. Um, when a crime has been committed, civil courts are between people, so Mrs. X versus Mr. X, um, and family court is where is within the civil realm. So you can file your own restraining orders to say you don't call the police, or you've never called the police, but you are going through a divorce and you say this person is losing it. Um, I need a I need protection for myself. Um, I'm going to file a restraining order. I don't have. Uh, I'm not going to call the cops. Nothing's happened. Recently, or, or I mean, today, nothing happened today. I'm not going to call the police, but I want to file a restraining order. You can file a restraining order in civil court between parties, which does not involve the criminal court. Um, you can do it along with a criminal case. You can also open a restraining order in a civil case. Um, and again, I'm speaking primarily of, of California law. Um, usually most states are similar, but you would want to talk to an attorney in your area. And a civil restraining order happens usually in family court if it's between family members and civil court or civil harassment restraining order if it's between people who know each other but are not closely related. So if you're filing a restraining order against your neighbor, if you're filing a restraining order against um, a second cousin, that would be a civil harassment restraining order. And those are just, you know, it's a restraining order asking somebody to restrict their movement or their contact with you through the civil courts. Um, they have, they can have criminal penalties if there's violations. So you can call the police and have somebody arrested if they violate a, a, a civil restraining order, but they are not held in front of a criminal court. Um, and one of the things I do want to go back and say is, and I know we might touch on this a little bit in terms of marriage, but one of the most, uh, dangerous times for a victim of domestic violence is when they are trying to separate from the victim. Because at that time, the perpetrator has nothing to lose. Remember, it's power and control. And when you're trying to leave, they are losing control. They are losing control over you. And that is the most dangerous time for a victim. So sometimes if you say, well, I don't want to file a restraining order. I just want to get a divorce or I just want to get custody and visitation orders. I need to leave this person. That's when that person is going to start acting out more, doing more. And inc- the incidences are going to ratchet up because this person is losing control. They're going to do everything they can to keep you within their control. In those incident, at those times, you may feel you need additional protection. And that's when you can file for a restraining order um, in a, in a civil case or in that divorce case or in that custody case saying they are, oh, they're starting to act out. I need protection. The family courts, at least here in California are definitely aware, um, and are versed on the fact that domestic violence incidences get worse when a victim tries to leave.
0: Yeah, I'm sure that's, um, very, very important. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's probably when the victims need the help the most, right? That's probably when they need a safe place to go to the most is when they're trying to extricate themselves from their perpetrator. You had talked a little bit about the legal help and getting an attorney with domestic violence experience and uh, a little about mediation. So maybe you could just expand on that a little bit.
1: Sure, sure. So when you are going out and seeking legal ad, um, advice or legal assistance um, for uh, either a, a custody or a divorce case um, and there's a history of domestic violence between you and the other party, whether reported or unreported. So don't feel because I never called the police. I cannot ask for a restraining order. That's not that's not correct. Um you want to make sure that you are working with an attorney who has some experience with domestic violence. Not all family law attorneys um, do. Some of them you know, specifically don't like to get involved with domestic violence cases or some of them don't understand the situations. Um, mediation amongst parties who have en- experienced domestic violence is a different um, experience between than between parties who have never had domestic violence between them. Uh, medi- mediation when you have, um, have had or have an, a history of domestic violence with the person you're mediating with, um, tends to happen separately. So you're in different places or different rooms and you have somebody going between the two of you because domestic violence or the threat of violence can be very subtle. The person doesn't have to be yelling and screaming and in your face to say, be threatening you. They can just give you a look. They can just say a word. They can just look away sometimes and that tells you oh my god they're really i know what that i know what's going to happen now i've i've seen that look before i know what that word means you know so a lot of times in mediation settings if you don't mention that there's been a history of domestic violence they will put you together in the same room and the victim the, the perpetrator will sometimes use that setting to send signals or send messages in nonverbal ways um, that let that scare the victim into agreeing to something they may not want to. And sometimes attorneys that are not, um, well versed on that may not realize that that would happen. They might say, well, what's the problem? Let's just meet. We can get this done so much faster. It's so much more efficient. It's much more cost. It's less costly than putting you guys in separate rooms. Unless the victim feels comfortable and you know, it's always the victim's choice, not the perpetrator's choice. And the default is to keep them separate. Um, uh, in court hearings, uh, if you don't have an attorney, or even if you do have an attorney, if you contact a local domestic violence agency, you can usually have a, a domestic violence advocate come with you when you go in front of the judge. So they're not going to be your lawyer or be uh, make legal arguments on your behalf. That's what your attorney will do or you will do if you're self-represented. But you can have a person, a support person, stand up there in front of the judge with you because usually it's just you the other party and the judge or your lawyers and sometimes the victim will get again very intimidated there could be a look there could be a tap on the table whatever something some nonverbal communication to indicate to the victim you know you better do what i say or you better agree something bad will happen with an advocate there there's a bit of a buffer there's somebody there who's who's there to make sure that um you're not um, being, this This moment is not being used uh, to take advantage of you as well. So if you're going through court proceedings and there is a history of domestic violence, most domestic violence agencies in most states will have legal advocates that can come with you to court hearings. Again, they can't speak for you. They're not your legal advocate. They're not making legal arguments for you, but they can be with you um, through the process so that you have a companion who can and be a buffer between you and the other party. Um, and then of course, you know, uh, most states have usually free legal services for people going through domestic violence incidences.
0: So. Sorry. Yeah, no, I don't want to cut you off. Now all the information <laughs> you're providing is so, so valuable. Um, you know, for people that might be listening that may find themselves in this type of a situation of power and control And, you know, not having realized this before of what was happening to them, are there, you know, what resources might they have or reach out to, or maybe even just to discuss their situation with somebody? Is there, is there somebody they could reach out to? Um, so
1: first and foremost, I'd, I'd recommend the national, since this is a, you know, this is a national uh, uh, forum, I'd say a national, the national TV hotline, domestic violence hotline, it's one eight hundred seven nine nine 799 safe or the hotline.org. Um, and they can put you in touch with local resources. Um, usually your local county, um, church, hopefully some of the masjids have started doing this, um, you will have some resources. Um, You go to the court websites. Um, They also usually have resources, domestic violence agencies. There are shelters um, if you need to get away and have need a place to stay. Um, Most places have shelters that you can leave and and go to. Some of the challenges though with some of these shelters is if you have children, if you have uh, a male child that's older, those tend to be some a little bit more difficult to find resources um, or places for people like that to stay, but they are there. So I'd say just, just reach out. Um, if you're somebody who is in contact with somebody who um, is experiencing this, um, sometimes people in our community, um, I had someone who was a hairdresser one time, did it out of her home, um, and she had come to me saying, I have so many women who come in here and talk about stuff and I don't know what to tell them. Um, if you're somebody who encounters women uh, not just, again not just women but any victims of domestic violence and you don't know how what to do with the information you're getting don't feel that burden that you have to solve the problem or uh, you have to get them out of the situation get them resources and and there those people at those you know at those agencies they will help them so sometimes you can go to your local um, court website and look up restraining orders or domestic violence, and they should have a list of resources there, go to the local domestic violence agencies and they should have a list of resources there. And sometimes, you know, giving a phone number to somebody, um, something of that nature, just having those resources available to give to people is really helpful. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say places to look for at your doctor's office. Um, sometimes the children's schools, um, the National Domestic Violence Hotline um, and your local court websites, things like that um, should be good places to start to look for resources.
0: Great. Well, uh, Shanaz, I think that we are done here. Thank you so, so much for coming on and helping to educate all of us on this very important topic and the things to look for and how we can help people that maybe experiencing domestic violence and what we can do on our end. as you said before, you know, physicians are great people to discuss and just let know that this may be helping so that we can refer you to resources that we may have, um, to help if you are in a domestic violence type of situation. So thank you very much. Thanks so much for your time. And, um, Any parting thoughts, Shanaz, that you wanted to say before we end? No, thank you. Thank you so
1: much, Sullivan. First of all, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, I love your podcast and I love the work that you're doing. I think it's really important for our community and I'm really proud of you. So congratulations on everything you've accomplished. Um, I don't mean to throw in another last time, but I did also want, I forget, I I feel like one of the things I forgot to mention and being a Muslim podcast, I just want to draw attention really quickly that um, a lot of times when we talk about what's used um, to control uh, people in these relationships, uh, one of the issues that I didn't bring up here, but it is very, very um, prominent uh, happens is people use religion. Um, So you might hear things like, well, this is your position. Allah SWAN is ordained for you to have to listen to me, to put up with this, to go through this. So, um, and sometimes some imams might also not, who are not well-versed in domestic violence might also start to, to promote this kind of view that, well, you know, this is your duty as a wife to, to put up with these types of things. Uh, essentially what I personally, uh, feel and what I tell people is, I mean, again, I'm not a legal scholar, you know, Islamic scholar, but if it doesn't feel right, it probably isn't. So if there's something happening or, or being said to you that just doesn't sit right, um, you know it's probably not and it's probably best to to seek out help and the primary issue is safety make sure you're safe yeah yeah you're absolutely right just kind of parting thoughts. so yeah. sorry didn't mean to drop a, another big topic yeah. no <laughs> no
0: no and i think that's very important and i'm glad you brought that up because as you said it is very important for you know we do have uh people of all different faiths and maybe of no faiths um that listen to this podcast but the majority are Muslims that, uh, tend to listen to my podcast. And I think it's very important for you to, you know, say what you just said in that, you know, if you're experiencing something and people use religion as, um, you know, a scapegoat for what they may be doing or what their actions, what harm they may be causing to others. You know, and like what you said, Shana, if it doesn't feel right, it's probably not right. And if something seems off and you're not sure, you know, please discuss it with your local religious leader. And if that person is not well versed in domestic violence, or doesn't know where to, you know, lead you or to guide you, then, you know, definitely speak with a mandated reporter, like you said, such as your physician, or, you know, call the National Domestic Violence Hotline, right? and um, hopefully they can help you and answer your questions. So I'm so glad you brought that up. And I appreciate that because definitely, you know, Islam um, is a beautiful religion and it really upsets me when people use it for their own, um, you know, bad intentions and their maldeeds. So thank you for bringing that up. But we are done here and it's been real and really intimate. So remember, this was not meant to be any type of legal advice. So if you are having any issues with domestic violence or know of somebody that is experiencing domestic violence, please reach out to the domestic violence hotline. And um, until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to schedule a one-on-one coaching with Dr. Lodi, please visit drsadaf.com. And until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast.